0: My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So I'm so excited. I just got a new desk. My last one fell apart in the move. It was cheap and it was small. And so it was time to get a real desk, like a real grown-up. I'll be finishing up the walls, putting some decor and acoustic tiles when they arrive for some hopefully better sound for the podcast. I will post a few pictures on Instagram when I get that all done and complete so you can see my little workspace if you're curious. And that is at Iron Mom 2020 Also in the move, I was going through some files to put in my new desk and I came across some old materials including from one of my childhood and adolescent development classes from graduate school, and there is some interesting stuff in there. So I may pull some of that stuff out and share it. I've also found some other interesting information and topics in my file. So there's a bunch of new interesting stuff. So if I see something that's super compelling, some notes from classes that I think would really help you or that might be interesting to my audience, I will share those soon. So I hope all or most of you, at least, found last week's information about personality traits helpful. I know when I first studied it, I sure did. I found it eye-opening. I found it helpful in understanding my individual children a lot better and be better able to work with each of them on their level. Also keeping in mind my own strengths where I could really help them and my own challenges where they either have strengths in the areas I don't or where we both struggle and can learn together. Also, of course, understanding my partner better and his temperament traits and where we differ and where we might be the same. Just find it really helpful in dealing with people day to day and thinking about how they might be different or similar to me. One of the biggest surprises to me about parenting, and I've talked about this before, but it's how much my children have challenged me to grow, especially emotionally. I thought I was going to be teaching and shaping them almost completely like me to them, but they have challenged me and taught me to be more patient, more understanding of differences in personality and different ways of approaching life or problems or struggles or challenges. I've marveled at their strengths. Like my oldest is a very fearless salesman. When it was time to sell popcorn for his Cub Scout pack, that kid was driven. He would go out every day after school, either before or after swim practice, He never was anxious about selling door-to-door, and just that he would go to swim practice and then go out still for an hour, an hour and a half, because he had a goal of selling the most popcorn. And I used to be a Girl Scout, and I hated going out and selling cookies, and I admire anyone extroverted enough to try to sell anything. I just think that is an amazing quality, an amazing trait. It is just not something that comes naturally to me at all. So I've gotten a couple of questions in the past several weeks, actually throughout the time, but especially in the last couple of weeks, I've gotten three questions about extreme meltdowns and emotional behavioral difficulties. Well, actually I've gotten a couple of questions about that. Then I've gotten a couple of questions about other areas of is my child normal? Is this outside the realm of normal? Or is this normal typical behavior? So I wanna dig into that topic more deeply that I've only scratched the surface on in the past. What is normal in certain areas, including meltdowns and power struggles, versus where might this be a diagnosable issue that would benefit from some intervention? So. The last episode, earlier this week, I did cover some of the personality traits that can make children much more emotionally reactive and ways to work with those traits to help children with these traits work towards better reactions. But beyond that, there are times when the behavior is above and beyond and may require some interventions. When is that? When can you tell the difference? What is that tipping point? What's the line? So I'm going to discuss the different disorders that are often first diagnosed in infancy, childhood, and adolescence, and just general guidelines for each group of the disorders, what they look like, how they manifest in behaviors, and when you may want to think about an assessment, and then how to go about getting that assessment and finding a good practitioner. Okay, so there are several groups of disorders that are often, when they're diagnosed, are diagnosed during the childhood years. Learning disorders is the first group, and I'm gonna go through each of these, the different types, the ages we normally first see them, and the signs or symptoms that your child may potentially be dealing with that particular disorder. With all that said, any diagnosis must be made by a professional with a proper full diagnostic assessment. This means full testing, interviews, etc. by a licensed professional. Now your family doctor or pediatrician can make a diagnosis in some instances. I feel like the best case is to go with a psychologist or a psychiatrist because they do specialize in these particular areas. But there are others, like I said, who can assess particular disorders in their area of expertise and I'll cover that where it's applicable as well as when I discuss getting assessments and further support and therapy. Okay, another set of disorders is motor skill disorders, communication disorders, pervasive developmental disorders. Now, these are disorders like autism spectrum disorders, attention deficit and disruptive behavior disorders, feeding and eating disorders of infancy and early childhood. And I have gotten a question from a parent about this in the past where it was very obvious to me that there was actually an eating disorder. The child was eating everything in sight. There is a particular disorder. It's very rare, but it does happen. And I did talk about that in a much earlier episode, but these are extremely rare. Um, I'm also going to cover some of these deeper than others. Things that are more common like disruptive behavior disorders, and communication disorders or feeding disorders, not so much because they're just not very common. I'm gonna give pertinent information just so you're aware of the existence and how they present. The last two are tic disorders and elimination disorders. And I'll also talk a little bit about SPD or sensory processing. Now, SPD is not in the DSM, the DSM, is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders that is used in psychology and psychiatry education and practices, master's, PhD, MD types of um, schooling education. So uh, this is the book that I did also use in my master's program, used it quite frequently. I still have my copy. I still refer to it. I actually referred to it for this exact episode so I could refresh my memory. But the SPD, however, um, because it's not in the DSM, is not something that I studied in school. It's not something that most psychologists have studied very much, if at all. Um, Now, maybe they're covering it more now if someone is in school now or in the last couple of years. I got my degree 10 years ago, so it was not covered back then. And it's still not in the DSM as far as I'm aware. I looked it up and they still haven't put it in. It's been something they've talked about, but as, as, as far as I know, it has not been added yet. It's not in the latest version. And unless they're thinking about putting in the next one, um, it's not something that is going to be added anytime soon. But it is still something that parents deal with. It's something that kids deal with. It is something that definitely is helpful to get some assistance and therapy um, if it is impeding life in any particular way. So there's a lot to go over here. I may end up dividing this into two episodes, if not three, but let's see how far we can get, starting with learning disorders. So the first types and symptoms of learning disorders, then I'll talk about how and when they're usually diagnosed and how to go about getting a diagnosis and the support, what that might look like. There's a lot more to all of these as far as testing and diagnosis, but I'm just gonna give some basics because this is a lot of material. I could spend weeks and weeks diving into this, but I just wanna give some background information for any parents who either w- you know are seeing it now or in the future you might be like, is my child struggling with a learning disorder? I'm not sure. You can refer back to the episode and be like, I remember hearing that and I think I might wanna look into it further. So a reading disorder. So here's the um, disorders for learning disorders. Reading disorders, mathematics disorder, written expression disorder. They also have another little pot they put in for anything they can't fit into that they call learning disorder, otherwise not specified. It's just a general pot and it's kind of annoying. But according to the Mayo Clinic, a learning disorder is an information processing problem that prevents a person from learning a skill and using it effectively. And there could be different parts along the path of their learning that can get in the way. Learning disorders generally affect people of average or above average intelligence. So for all three of these, a diagnosis is reached when a child is performing substantially below expected given age, their, their measured intelligence, and their age-appropriate engagement in the formal education process. So they put all these stipulations in there because if you have a seven-year-old who is has been a refugee and hasn't been to school, of course they're likely not reading yet. That is not a learning disorder. That is, they haven't been engaged in the formal education process enough to know. So there's a lot of these parameters that they have to put in here to make sure that this child is. You're looking at their age. You, there is a pretty. um, They've either taken an IQ test or you can tell just by their the way that they learn in school that they are, of average or higher intelligence. That that they are able to learn or we would expect that they would be able to learn and that they've had enough exposure to education to have picked up the skills by their age and they're not and they're falling far behind their peers. The reason we do this is because... There is a wide range of normal in learning, just like there is in walking and talking and a lot of other skills that children will learn and grow into. So they want to give some leeway for a child who just might not learn to read as early as others. We push reading in the United States very hard and very early, and some kids just don't have the cognitive skills yet. So if you get a seven or eight-year-old who is like two grade levels behind, you probably have a learning disability. So I just want to make sure that that's Um, understood. As you can guess, learning disorders are not usually diagnosed for a while until three years into the formal education process. Now, kids often struggle for years before they get a formal diagnosis. Now, I did say there's a wide range of normal, and that is true. But if you have an inkling, if you have a intuition that your child's struggle is not just a normal cognitive development that they need more time to develop, you can get in and start pushing for this. They will often struggle for years. So by this time, they've fallen really far behind their peers. Their self-esteem can be greatly affected. Dropout rates for children with learning disorders is one and a half times higher than those without. Adults with learning disorders may have significant difficulties with employment and with social adjustment. So let's talk about the different disorders and what that might look like. I've shared, before I go into the reading disorders and what that looks like, I just want to give a a quick, um, some quick information. My youngest son, which I've talked about in the past, struggled for years, and every teacher every year would tell me that he was struggling to pay attention, he would um, talk out of turn in class, he had some impulse issues... And I kept saying, it started in TK, he was four years old. I'm like, he's four years old. We need to give this child a chance for his brain to kind of catch up and let's see what happens. I heard it again in kindergarten. Often boys struggle in kindergarten. They tend to be more impulsive than girls anyway. Um, and he just has that particular personality. And I was like, you know what, I wanna give it another couple of years. I just wanna see how he does. Let's get to first grade. His first grade teacher, same thing, he was struggling. So I said, okay, it's time for an assessment at this point. We're in first grade. Now he wasn't falling behind with his learning very much. He actually was ahead of his learning quite a bit in a couple of areas. but I felt like it was really important that we get the assessment done so that we knew what we were dealing with so that if he needed special intervention in class, the teacher was prepared because I can't do anything from home about a child who's impulsive in school. If he's impulsive, he's impulsive. If he's impulsive at home, I can help him at home. If he's impulsive at school, there's really not anything I can do because it's impulsive. <laughs> if we could teach him not to, the teacher could teach him not to right there, then and there in classroom, and he would do fine. I certainly can't do it at home. So I wanted the teachers to be aware if he did have a particular struggle so that they knew what they were dealing with and they could get the tools and be aware that he needs some special tools in the classroom. So that's a little bit of a a tangent there, but it plays into this. Okay, for reading. Even when kids do learn to read, they may still struggle with certain concepts or certain skills. Reading at a typical pace for their age group, understanding what they read after they've read it, recalling accurately what they just read, making inferences based on their reading. So can they read a story and then make an inference about how that might play out in life? Also, spelling. If they're struggling with spelling, even if they're reading well, but they're struggling with spelling, this can fall under a reading disorder. Reading disorders can come into play when there's an issue with working memory. Right? If the ability to hold and manipulate information is not there or not up to par, if their memory is not up to the normal level, how are they going to retain the information they just read? It's gonna fall out of their head by the time they finish reading. So understandably, a memory issue is going to affect reading and retaining that information. As I mentioned, many children struggle with reading early on. They just aren't ready to read in kindergarten, so Um, You may want to give some more time, but you may want to take a look and see like, are they just struggling to remember their letters? That may be a memory issue right there. So if you really feel like they're struggling just to get some basic concepts, you know, you can certainly try to see if you can get an assessment. You can talk to your pediatrician um, to try to get an early assessment if you'd like to. Um, But just like I said, there's a spectrum of normal. So the discrepancy needs to be significant. So this is why part of the diagnosis, like I said, that they must be significantly behind where they might expect to be based on their age. Okay, so I wanna get to helping parents differentiate behavioral concerns and issues as normal versus a potential diagnosable concern because I think this is the area where parents wonder the most. So I'm gonna cover a few more tips and info about learning disorders and then get into the behavioral concerns. When you should be concerned, what these diagnoses are that can lead to behavioral issues and how they can manifest versus what's just normal childhood tantrums and meltdowns. So here are some signs of learning disorders in general. If your child doesn't master skills in reading, spelling, writing, or math at or near expected age and grade levels. If they have difficulty understanding and following instructions. If they have trouble remembering what someone else just told him or her to do. If they lack coordination in walking, in sports, or skills like holding a pencil. So that some fine motor or large motor coordination that they're struggling with. This can also spill over into cognitive development. They easily lose or misplace homework, school books, or other items. Now this also can be a sign of ADD or ADHD if they're disorganized. They have difficulty understanding the concept of time. Now the concept of time starts to come in around the age of four. This is when you will hear kids say things like yesterday, tomorrow, tomorrow, Just now, they're starting to understand. You hear them using that time language. They should start to be understanding the concept of time around the age of four and understanding that there's a past, a present, and a future. And it's really interesting once they start. They're not super good at it. It's not super finite, but they're beginning to understand the kind of unfolding of time. They resist doing homework or activities that involve reading, writing, or math, or consistently can't complete homework assignments without significant help. They act out or show defiance, hostility, or excessive emotional reactions at school or while doing academic activities such as homework or reading. Now I'm going to discuss getting an assessment and treatment options as well as get into the behavioral concerns and diagnoses right after a word from our sponsors. Arm makes getting dressed easy. a-r-m-o-i-r-e dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. That's homethreads.com slash parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. Now that we're back after the break, I'm gonna finish up on the learning disorders, getting an assessment and treatment options, then get into behavioral struggles and tips for helping your child, both for what we call neurotypical children. Neurotypical means they don't have a diagnosable issue, as well as those who have a diagnosis with ADD or any other disruptive behavioral disorder. Also, as you can see, the learning disorders can cause disruptive behavioral um, activity, meltdowns, tantrums, that kind of thing, when it is around schoolwork if there's a learning disorder. So that can also lead to some outbursts and meltdowns as well. If you see your child struggling in any particular area, you want to push for an assessment. Early intervention is essential because the problem can snowball. They only fall further behind. And as I mentioned, children who have learning disorders can also experience low self-esteem, performance anxiety, depression, chronic fatigue, loss of motivation. Some children might act out to distract attention from their challenges at school. So a child who is struggling with math, it's only going to get worse or harder because they're now falling further behind on their math concepts. If they're really struggling with reading or they're not retaining what they're reading and the reading is going to get more difficult, the concepts, the um, deeper thinking and cognitive concepts that go along with reading certain types of material, if they're just struggling with the reading and retaining, that's going to fall behind. Same with writing. Um, I actually got my son some help, my older son, some help with his reading and writing activities. I believe he's catching up. We're going to keep, keep on that, but he was really falling behind in his writing skills and, You know, those writing skills now in middle school are only going to get more and more complex, and they're going to expect more and more complex ideas and um, ways of sharing ideas in writing. And if he doesn't have really good writing skills, the basics down, it's just going to get harder. So a child's teacher, their parents or guardian, a doctor or other professional can request an evaluation if there are concerns about not just learning problems, but actually any um, concern that you may feel that... You wanna look and see if um, there's a diagnosis. Your child will likely first have tests to rule out vision and hearing problems. This is with learning disabilities or other medical concerns. If they're not hearing properly or seeing properly, of course it's going to affect their ability to learn. Often a child will have a series of exams conducted by a team of professionals, including psychologists, special education teacher, occupational therapist, a social worker, or a nurse may all run different diagnostic tests to make sure that they are looking at everything, not leaving something out. The determination of a learning disorder and the need for services are based on the results of the tests, the teacher feedback, input from parents or guardians, a review of academic performance. A diagnosis of severe anxiety or attention deficit hyperactivity disorders also might be relevant. So these conditions can contribute to delays in developing academic skills. As I've shared, I do have a son with ADD. This did affect his academics because he struggled to focus. But as I also mentioned, he is also very bright. So he wasn't falling behind in his skills per se, but he was falling behind in his work. So he was above grade level. Then he started to work his way closer to grade level because he was unable to focus on his work. He wasn't getting his work done. So he certainly wasn't working to his potential. Kids with ADD can often fall behind. So if we had let this go, he would have gone to grade level. Then he would have gone to behind grade level and they would present with a reading or other learning disability, potentially, when it's really the lack of focus or the impulse of nature that can look like issues with reading or writing, when the catalyst is the lack of ability to stay focused. So I will also say that in my experience, the parent often needs to become a huge advocate for their child to get services through the school. So if your child has a diagnosis, if you get that complete and there is a positive diagnosis and your child is struggling, if they're falling behind, the school is required to provide services, the school district. I don't know if this is a common issue throughout the US or the other parts of the world, but it was definitely a struggle in our last district. Not just my experience, but many other parents that I had talked to with children with dyslexia and other learning disabilities. There are professional advocates you can hire for this specific purpose. And I did talk to several of them about my struggles with my son. It's very eye-opening when you talk to them to know and learn your rights as a parent, your child's rights to services. And I'm guessing they do differ state by state to some degree what services that they are eligible for. But I think it's a really important topic. Just so you can reach out and find out what you are eligible, what your child is eligible for, what they are legally entitled to. And so you are aware, here are the treatments available. Extra help with things like a reading specialist, a math tutor, or another trained professional who can teach your child techniques, specific techniques to improve their academic, their organizational and their study skills. An IEP, an Individualized Education Plan. Public schools in the US are mandated to provide an IEP for students who meet certain criteria for a learning disorder. The IEP sets the learning goals and determines strategies and services to support the child's learning. Certain accommodations. So classroom accommodations might include more time to complete assignments or tests, being seated near the teacher, a use of computer applications, some type of a barrier that they can just put up around them at their desk so that they are not looking around the classroom that helps keep them a little more focused, there's not so much to catch their attention. Um, Use of computer applications that support writing, including fewer math problems in assignments, providing audiobooks to supplement reading. Therapy, some children will benefit from therapy. Occupational therapy can improve motor skills of the child who has writing problems. If they have fine motor skills that they're really struggling with to hold a pencil or to write neatly, they can get some therapy. Speech language therapist can also help address issues with children who are struggling with language skills. Also medications are an option. Your your child's doctor might recommend medication to manage anxiety, depression, ADHD, may improve a child's ability to concentrate in school. Also complementary and alternative medicines. Now there isn't a ton of research that has determined the effectiveness of alternative treatments yet, such as dietary changes, vitamins, exercises, neurofeedback. Um, I always think a good one is yoga mindfulness practice cannot certainly not hurt anyone. Learning to get mindful, learning to focus. I also have ADD, so yoga and mindfulness practice, meditation has definitely helped me. Um, I will also say as far as medication, I know this is um, a very personal choice. I chose, we chose not to do medication with our son, um, but it is certainly an option for parents whose kids are, our son is an attentive type. Uh, there is also the hyperactive type, and that can be uh, pretty difficult when they are just bouncing off the walls and can't even sit still. Um, however, we I chose to get the diagnosis simply because I wanted the schools and teachers to be aware, and so that they weren't constantly coming to me and basically tattling on him. And I could say, we have this concern. You're aware of the concern. You're aware of the diagnosis. If you would like to get us an IEP, then let's get some extra support in the classroom. So far, we have not needed to do medication. Um, I have noticed while we are homeschooling that I have had to do a lot of extra um, check-ins with him to keep him on task. So that is what we have decided to use to help him work through his struggles and he is doing excellent in school. So, um, so so far, this is working for us and for him. Okay, so that took a lot longer than I thought and I think I tried to bite off an awful lot talking about all of the different diagnoses in one podcast episode I do know that parents really would like to learn more about the behavioral struggles that if you're dealing with that so I want to dig into this a little bit in this episode and then we can go into this more in another episode so and I did talk a little bit about the ADHD already so we did talk about that somewhat okay let's get quickly into this kids especially really young ones tend to be impulsive by nature they're prone to tantrums to outbursts to meltdowns their logical brains are still just beginning to develop they are born with their limbic or their emotional brains pretty much fully intact but the logical brain will take the entirety of childhood and up to the age of 25 to fully develop now the good news is through the late teens and 20s this is just them organizing, planning, goal-setting types of things, but it can make them seem a little not fully, they're just not fully developed yet in, until you know all the way up to 25. The good news is the logical brain does begin to develop very quickly. And by the age of four to five, most of those big meltdowns and the outbursts should be a thing of the past, or at least a lot less frequent and much shorter in duration when they do happen. So for this very reason, these types of disorders, the ADHDs and the other behavioral disorders are not usually diagnosed until at least the age of five or later. It's very hard to distinguish the typical four-year-old behavior from actual ADD or a disruptive behavioral disorder. Okay, so some basic guidelines. If your child is particularly struggling with outbursts and meltdowns under five, Keep working on the emotion skills. Actually, any age, even if your child is seven or eight. If your child is struggling with these big outbursts and meltdowns, you wanna keep working on the emotion skills anyway during times of calm. Make a special time during each day to work on teaching emotion skills because if your child does end up to have a diagnosis, the therapists are going to likely be giving you tools and exercises to work on at home anyway. And this is just something we all need to work on, I think, throughout life, period. Uh, Even if your child is neurotypical, even if your child does, you know, my children, um, my oldest, still has, will sometimes just burst out in a complete meltdown. He had one just the other day. He's 12. He still needs some work on this. We still work on, you know, working on these emotion skills. And we sat down and we talked about that outburst and what happened in his thought process, how he might be able to calm down a little bit first the next time he accused his brother of something that he didn't do, basically. And so we talked about that and how he's gonna handle that differently the next time. I still lose my cool sometimes. It's still a skill I'm working on. So this is something we all need to work on anyway. Emotion skills, A child who struggles with social skills is a child who needs a stronger emotional foundation underneath. The social skills is the outward expression. The emotion skills is what's happening underneath. There has to be a strong foundation underneath and then they will be able to work on the social skills piece of it. Emotion skills are recognizing the emotion that we're feeling and being able to label it. So knowing what it feels like to be angry and then share that emotion appropriately is the social skill, that outward expression. Do we take deep breaths? Do we go for a run? That's actually what I do. <laughs> I sort through my feelings. Now it's not when I'm like super angry, I just stick on my running shoes and go for a run, but when I'm really particularly struggling with something, I will just go run and work it out in my workouts, out in nature. A child may run around the yard or run around the couch several times, hit a pillow, or Many times we simply use our words. Also as adults, sometimes we'll just walk away for a minute. I need a minute. We walk away, we work ourselves down. When we're calm, we come back and we talk about it. So we're going to be teaching our children those particular skills, but first they must be able to recognize the emotion and understand this is anger. I'm not handling this very well. I need to get myself calmed down before I engage. So that is what we're working towards. So, working on emotion skills during times of quiet is when they will learn the most. Reading books about emotions, discussing the characters, what they're feeling and why, how we would feel if that happened to us. The same thing with TV shows or movies and their characters. Having discussions about it, about the way they handled certain issues, how they could have done it better, what they maybe learned in that process. The earlier episode this week covers more ways, a lot more ways to help children get opportunities to practice their social skills and therefore their emotion skills in controlled ways, so in controlled environments. So You can see where and in what ways they are struggling and then help them work through those. And it's so that you can catch them before they go completely over the edge. If you're playing a game and they're getting frustrated, you can pull them back. You can have a discussion. I can tell you're getting really frustrated right now. Let's take a few minutes to calm down and then we'll come back and play the game. So these are things you can document and you can take to your pediatrician as well if you feel like the reaction is just far beyond what they should be for their age and development and the parenting that you've provided them if you've been practicing positive discipline and teaching these skills for a while and your 6-year-old is melting down for hours chances are there's a deeper concern that needs to be addressed there by 5 to 6 a child should be able to recover from an upset within 10 to 15 minutes and usually within a few minutes now but some kids will continue on for a little bit longer than that if it's going 10 15 minutes That's okay. If it's continuing on for 30, 40 minutes or more up to an hour multiple times a day, it's time to consider an assessment. There are many disorders that can lead to these types of outbursts including ADHD or ADD. ADD comes in three types. The hyperactive and impulsive type, the inattentive type, and the combined type which is actually both the hyperactive impulsive type and the inattentive type together. There are also other disorders, like I also just talked about with the learning disorders, when it's dealing with the schoolwork itself and the learning itself. If there's some meltdowns and things going that are happening just around the schoolwork, then it could be a learning disability or a learning struggle that's happening there. And looking into that might be, is my child just struggling with a certain concept and falling behind a little bit? Or is there a learning disability that might be underlying here, why they're getting so frustrated over it? There are other disorders, a couple others, that can lead to bigger behavioral outbursts as well and disobedience, so I can get into more of the signs of that and really talk about the signs and symptoms of ADD and ADHD also for parents who are curious what that looks like versus a normal outburst for a child. The assessments and treatments for all three types as well as getting into more about the SPD, the sensory processing disorders. There's a couple different types of that as well. And like I said, I do have a child with that as well, so I do have some familiarity with dealing with SPD as well as the clinical knowledge that I have gained just by doing some research and talking to people who work in this particular field. If you're wanting to learn more about working on emotional and social skills from the youngest ages, your developing toddler and your developing preschooler both cover the ins and outs of development, what's normal, how to support the development of these skills, the social-emotional, along with all the other skills as well, any red flags to look out for that may indicate you need to get in for some extra support or therapy, occupational therapy, etc. In addition, any of the positive discipline classes are always great information for building a strong foundation for connection, respectful communication, cooperation, rules and expectations, setting those down with love and kindness, yet firmness, Also, the class on choosing a preschool and multiple intelligence theory goes hand in hand with supporting your child's earliest academic experiences and up through the ages and their unique gifts in that process that you may want to be aware of, areas where they struggle and areas where they may have strengths that may not match the general educational expectations and programs. So to see those or any of the 60 parenting classes on demand, visit the website at yourvillageonline.com. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.